This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the TopRopePress.com radio network. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Did you miss us? Finally, your two favorite wrestling podcast hosts are back with a new edition of Top Rope Nation two weeks later. Sorry for the delay, everyone, but I am, as always, Ryan Drosty, editor of TopRopePress.com, joined, as always, here by my sidekick, the innovator of the Irish whip himself, Mr. Kyle Ross. And this is Top Rope Nation. So, Kyle, how is your week going? You're out in Cleveland. I imagine you're feeling pretty well right now. Yes. It'll be interesting to see how I feel by the end of this podcast. So by the time you all hear this, there's a chance that the Indians have clinched a World Series berth. And we haven't really gotten into this much on the show. I've talked about the Cubs a little bit. Kyle, of course, an Indians fan. This has kind of been hanging there in the air that there was the possibility they could face each other in the World Series. And, you know, the mega powers might explode here on Top Rope Nation. We might be going at it. That is a gimmick we will have to run with in the future if it does happen. I know right now you don't want to hear about anything that the Cubs did in the regular season and how they should be in the World Series. You know, it's a one game at a time thing on that half of the draw. But uh, I'm rooting for them. So, Kyle, I'm barely hanging on by a thread right now after last night. Last night was game three, and the Cubs... Looked terrible, just awful, and I have no idea what's going on with their hitting. We're talking about one of the best offensive teams in baseball this year, and all of a sudden, it's like all of their best hitters are in a slump at the same time, other than Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant's still hitting. So uh, by the time you hear this, the Cubs are either in a 3-1 hole or it's tied 2-2. If it's 2-2, I'm feeling pretty good again. We got two games at Wrigley, if necessary, if it goes to a game seven, but... uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I, it seems like in baseball, it's rare that the best team wins the World Series, the best team from the regular season. It just it comes down to like who, is, who gets hot at the right time and all it takes. You can be the Cubs and have the best record, be the best team for six months, but you have a couple bad games in October, and that's all she wrote. Yeah, I think that the last time the team with the best record won the World Series was the 9 Yankees. That sounds right. I'll throw a trend out there for you, though. Since uh, that early July swoon that you guys went through, if you remember, I think you guys lost like seven of eight to start that month. That was the one one game I went to this year at Wrigley Field was during that stretch, and they lost to the Atlanta Braves. That's... Pretty horrible, to be honest with you. The Atlanta Braves did not win many games, for those uh, who don't follow baseball. But since that time, Ryan, do you know what the Cubs' record is went off back-to-back losses? I read something on one of my favorite Cubs sites, Bleacher Nation, earlier today uh, that they had. It was about their starting pitching, I think, and uh, coming off of bad starts because Lackey's last start wasn't very good, but he had a pretty solid. He had a pretty solid uh, record of having uh, quality starts after bad games, but I'm not sure about the Cubs in general. It's five and zero. Oh. Five and zero. Oh. oh my god! I hope it continues because they they have looked. Pretty bad the last two yeah, I was games. Say, when you said, oh, I don't know what's going going wrong here, I was going to say, eh, you know, for those unfamiliar with baseball, allow me to uh, let you know that you need to score runs to win games. That usually <laughs> helps. I was in uh, game one in the NLCS. I actually was out of town for a wedding. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I watched the end of the game. Well, actually, I was watching the game at the wedding reception on a guy's cell phone on our table for most of the game. And they, I was feeling pretty good, you know, they're up 3-0, and then I went back to the hotel, and then I saw, hey, it was tied, I'm wondering what's going on. I went down to the hotel bar, and I saw the Miguel Montero Grand Slam that 
basically clinch the victory. And uh, me and my buddy were watching it down there. And we went crazy. And I'm thinking, 1-0, we're up in the NLCS. This is the year. We're going to get to the World Series. And the last two games have really just crushed me <laughs> since then. So, My good buddy, my roommate from college, was at he, – he lives in Chicago uh, – was at the game. Game one, he was I, – I texted him. Uh, I believe my text was Jesus effing Christ after the grand slam. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty fired up. He said, I've never heard this place that loud. Um, he's a season ticket holder uh, ever. So, uh, you know, Montero's not the guy you would expect to hit the grand slam. But uh, I said to my friend, even when he had, I think he, I think he hit it with two strikes. And when he got a second strike, he was obviously swinging for the fences. And I was like, what is he doing? All he needs is a base hit to clinch the victory. He'll score two here. The next, the next pitch, boom, grand slam. I felt dumb, but I was elated at the same time. Yeah. So, well, I do that a lot too when I watch it. I'm like, why? You know, um, I'm a Michigan football fan, and uh, early in the year, I think it was the one of their best players, if maybe not their best player, uh, Peppers, uh, Jabril Peppers, was back there returning punts. I'm like, man, it's really risky to have your best player doing that. And then he like took it to the house like right yeah. away. So I was like, oh, that's why you have him. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see if we get to a World Series and we we are we we'll have, have this rivalry sort of here on the air or, or something like that. I don't I, know what I would be down. I'd be down. Okay. We got we'll to get there first, though. I think your odds are pretty good, but uh, I guess yeah, you never know. We could even lose game uh, four here and go down three one and still pull it out. I mean, all I got to do is look back to my history as a Cubs fan and see in 03 we were ahead 3-1 in the NLCS and somehow blew it three straight games. So this Cubs team is certainly capable of coming back from being in a hole but i'm i'm just not so confident after what i've seen the last two games so we'll see what happens so uh kyle pro wrestling yes How that about is what it? we came together to talk about today i believe <laughs> wasn't it pro wrestling you guys we're we're coming in on uh the survivor series next month one of the so-called big four pay-per-views we got hell in a cell before that but at the start of the show today we wanted to talk about an idea we had for the podcast so kyle and i've been talking you know, the last couple of weeks, we launched this Patreon page to uh, raise some funds, so to speak, for the podcast. Uh, you can donate as little as $1 per month and get granted exclusive access to exclusive shows for subscribers only. There's all kinds of other benefits. You can check it out at patreon.com slash Nation. So we were thinking, with it being Survivor Series, we could take kind of a historical approach to past Survivor Series events. You know, both uh, Kyle and I, as you can tell, if you listen to this show, we're really into wrestling nostalgia, going back, talking about the 80s, talking about the 90s. And uh, so we thought maybe we'd we'd go a couple shows at a time. And these would be side shows, not our typical Top Rope Nation uh, Thursday, Wednesday podcast, but kind of on the side and talk about those old events in order as we lead into the Survivor Series. So next week... We're planning on doing the first edition of the show just to kind of give you guys a taste of what we're going to do with the historical antidotes and reviewing some of the matches, probably telling you some things about the background on the old Survivor Series shows that you're not aware of unless you're as big of a wrestling geek as we are. And uh, maybe that'll whet your appetite a little bit. And then the after next week, every additional episode of the Survivor Series shows will be on Patreon only for subscribers. So... Kyle, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could, at the drop of a hat, do the old ones. It's funny. I'm probably going to have to do more research on last year than 1987. I agree entirely. We Sometimes we get into these side conversations on the show where we're talking old school wrestling. And it's, it's one of, I guess it's one of my favorite things to do. So I like going back, researching what was happening at the time. We'll go into the backstage story, some of the drama. Uh, of course, next week we're going to talk all about what led into the creation of the Survivor Series and the uh, McMahon rivalry with Jim Crockett promotions. So, uh, yeah. and then just there's other like macro level stuff because you know, of the big four, I think it's safe to say that there isn't a single solitary human being that wouldn't uh, argue in the fact that it's number four. And uh, I kind of wanted to trace those steps as well, like kind of how quickly it became number four in the pecking order. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the reasons for that. <laughs> Lazy booking. <laughs> yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. $1 a month. Get you access to the shows, subscriber benefits. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. So you can look forward to that starting next week and then all through November. So uh, I was at one of the old Survivor Series, by the way. I'll be able to talk about that. Was it in Ohio? 
Uh, three of the first five were in the old Richfield Coliseum, which they like to call suburban Cleveland. It's actually just the halfway point between Cleveland and Akron. It's where the Cavs played before they moved downtown. And uh, I was at the 92 version. I was a little too young, I guess. And, and plus the first two, 87 and 88, were actually on Thanksgiving night, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, my my family, they're one of these weird things. You know, you got to be with your family. So I didn't go to those. But by 92, they had moved it off Thanksgiving. And I think it was just um, on the weekend before or something like that. So I was at that one. That so was, was a weird time period for the WWF. That was the first high-profile Brett Sean match. It was. It was the year that they abandoned the Survivor Series uh, format entirely and just kind of did uh, normal matches. I believe Santa Claus made an appearance at that show, if I'm not he mistaken. Did. Not Santa Claus, but yes, actual Santa <laughs> Claus and Bret Hart, yes, uh, posed together to end that show. Well, once we get to that show, that'll be an in- that'll be subscriber only, though, by the time we get to 92. But I'll be interested to hear your uh, what you remember from the live experience. Yeah, I think I was the only one cheering for Shawn Michaels in the crowd. <laughs> I would not have been at that time, but maybe four or five years later, I probably would have been cheering Sean. Okay, I'm, a, I'm always out of the curve. I always like to uh, pride myself on that. You're a smark. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Original smark. You're like yes. one of the original smarks that was not like 900 lines. Ones who think they're so cool. Well, we'll get into that. Well, let me just mention that. You know, that just made me think about it. All right, Goldberg. All right. The crowd went crazy when Goldberg returned on Raw on Monday night. We're going to disagree on this. <laughs> I, I uh, it, it's about time we started disagreeing on this show. <laughs> I thought Goldberg's uh, promo was good. I thought it was a good return. I, I talked about this on our last show two weeks ago. Again, sorry, we were gone last week, you guys. We it was just a crazy week. But anyways, uh, I was not really looking forward to Goldberg's return. I thought he did a good job. The crowd loved it, but. What I was thinking as I saw everyone going crazy for this guy, like, of course, the Smarks even were going crazy for him. And I, I, I log on to the message boards online and I'm seeing what people are saying. And, oh, my God, they're going crazy for Goldberg. But the Smarks back in the day was the group of fans that despised Goldberg. So it's kind of weird how that is kind of flipped. I guess absence makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. Uh, I I didn't dislike. It. I thought it was fine. I'm I'm still not looking forward to the match. See, I, I can tell I'm really in the minority on the t- TRP staff here. Like, I feel like I, I really <laughs> like wrote something to stump for it. I felt like I was like you know going to be like ostracized or like never allowed to like run, like my internet access was going to be taken away or something like that. Because I know uh, Abby didn't like it either. Really, it seemed. Um, I I thought it was tremendous. I thought the segment was fine. I just think the match itself is a lame idea. <laughs> Well, okay, here's the thing. Everyone wants to focus on that match at WrestleMania 20. To me, I think you just tear up that match and throw it out, pretend it never happened. Um, It's in the kayfabe sense, I think the idea that Goldberg won it and it's this huge motivation for Lesnar to avenge it works in building up the match. I do think uh, in that regard, you shouldn't throw it out. But the disastrous quality of it, I just think... It's not like it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't really anymore. It was a bizarre circumstance. It's not like it's indicative of either guy. It was a situation where both had one foot out the door and were supremely unmotivated that night. Yeah. I don't think it's indicative of what we're going to see in Toronto, even though both guys are, you know, much older. I mean, uh, you know, Goldberg could be a huge question mark in the ring. I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier. I mean, he, he was never a great worker per se. I mean, he, he was never asked to do a lot of long matches. Um, certainly in his build of the world title, he never did long matches at all. I really before that, that DDP one, which was quite good at Halloween havoc. Uh, he was never asked to do anything, you know, longer than five minutes really for the most part. Or, uh, <coughs> uh, when he ended Bret Hart's career at Starcade. Well, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but by that point, you, you, by that point, the magic had been kind of lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, off air, I was telling you, there's a million things I want to write for the site right now. And I'm trying to find time. One of them is going to be five ways WCW screwed up Goldberg. Um, but the whole success of the Goldberg thing in your pack all is kind of ironic. Some of the people that were cheering for him, maybe some of the same people that were booing him back in the 90s. Number one, it speaks to WWE television. I think how when you're somebody who's not frequently on it, 
you're always more over than those who always are on a weekly basis. It's just always the way it is. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, again, speaks to WWE television. But that's just the, the reality of it. And sort of the unscripted nature of it. He just felt it felt more real. He certainly felt like more of a star. I mean, no matter what you think about Goldberg, you have to concede. He was at his height. He was a much bigger star than anyone in WWE is right now. Short uh, of John Cena. I was just going to say possibly Cena, but yeah, yeah of outside of Cena. I mean, yeah. Goldberg was very at Goldberg's height. I mean, this guy was at a level very, very few people have ever been at. And, you know, it's been 12 years. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought it worked. I, I thought he said all the right things. He, he came off as much more likable. I mean, in a company that struggles to get any baby faces over, he just came across as a guy who you wanted to root for in the storyline. I mean, he came across, I mean, I wanted to root for him a lot more than I've wanted to root for the Seth Rollins character, for Christ's sake. Even when Seth first came back? No, no, I'm saying Seth Rollins now. Yeah, okay. As it is. You're, no, you're right, absolutely. They blew it, but the thing is, I mean, I think if you just look at it objectively, it was mission accomplished with Goldberg. Not to be stealing quotes from George W. Bush, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I thought he hit an absolute home run because I was like you. I was like Abby. I was like a lot of people. I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. I thought he was very uninspired on the coachman thing. Uh, you know, that, you know, we, we've been hyped and we thought the announcement was going to come there. And when it didn't and it was done, I was like, God, I don't know if I want to see this thing with Lesnar anymore. But, you know, it, it, he made it work. It really worked. I thought it was an absolute home run. I mean, whether the match works, I don't know. It should be better than Russell. I mean, you obviously you would hope it'd be better than WrestleMania 20. I just don't, I don't hold that against this. Like I think some people do. I, yeah, again, I thought the segment was fine. I just, I'm not looking forward to the match whatsoever. I have no interest in this match. And <laughs> I think by the time this match happens, we're almost 13 years from when they last wrestled. It's, it's, I don't think the match is going to be better. I question, Brock Lesnar throwing a 50-year-old man around the ring with no regard like he probably is going to be doing. Um, and I question, it hasn't officially been announced, but I question doing the match in Toronto. And I'm, I'm going to go on record again. I think Goldberg's going to get booed if it's in Toronto at Survivor Series. That's what I think. I'm a, I'm a little more lukewarm on that than I was before. Yeah, well, I, we, I, know, we know that... We know that uh, Lesnar lives in Canada now. People know mm-hmm. that. We know that Goldberg was responsible for the end of Bret Hart's career. Obviously, he didn't mean for that to happen or anything, but it was it was a pretty bad kick that he literally almost kicked Bret Hart's head off at uh, Starcade '99. And Canadians don't forget. And we know that the Canadian crowd is pro Hart all the time. Years later, and uh, we know that they oftentimes don't react the way WWE wants. So I think you're going to have a very pro Lesnar crowd there not that that really takes away from the match because i don't think wwe really will care that much about the reactions especially if goldberg's gonna lose then they they certainly won't care that much god goldberg has to lose wouldn't you think is there any chance he wins this match no i think it would be you know we've talked about the past that lesnar you know him putting someone over is kind of like this golden egg that wwe has and i think to waste it um you know i don't know if i want to use the term waste but i will on Goldberg, a part-timer, it w- would probably be foolish. Yeah. But you, you may want to keep him strong because, I mean, there was a lot of clamoring. Oh, man, look how well this went. Oh, I can see him working another time, maybe at Mania or something like that. He is definitely oh. working Mania. There, there's no question in my mind. Whenever these guys come back for these one-offs like this, they always keep him around. Always. I just think, to me, again, I, I actually just think the match quality. First of all, I, I think I'll disagree. I, I said it earlier, I think the match will be better than it was. I mean, how can it be worse than WrestleMania 20? I mean, that was like, like I said, a very bizarre set of circumstances <laughs> led to such ineptitude. Yeah, Jack Snodgrass just wrote a feature on that on yeah. toprowpress.com. You should check that out. If you've never seen the match, Jack had never seen it. He was kind of out of the wrestling loop at the time. So he went back on the network and he watched it and kind of wrote down his thoughts. And uh, I'll just say it, it was as bad as he he had heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. I mean it's but it's just a unique ridiculous set of circumstances that led to that. I don't think that it reflects either of them as performers. Yeah, that- it it was one of the first times that the crowd kind of 
took over a match. That I remember that happening with the snarky crowd where they they knew what was happening, knew both guys were on their way out, and the, all the chants and stuff. It was definitely was one of the first times that happened. Yeah, I just think that it's unique and again to some of the factors you pointed out. I don't want to say they don't matter, but I think they don't matter as much as some people think. Mm-hmm. I just think that. There is a perception, and WWE plays into it, and again, you can argue that it's a short-sighted, wrong way to do it, but these two are viewed as just bigger stars than the rest of the roster. Yeah, there's always that nostalgia which, factor in which wrestling. We, like, you know, and I, I think I have to be careful what I say here because it could be used against me or it could come off as just wrong, and I don't want it to be. I think... Having a being able to have a good match today, like a quote unquote good match, whatever that means, that's a subjective thing, by the way, doesn't mean as much now because almost everyone can have it. Hmm. And they almost all kind of seem this, you know what I'm saying? Like that Clash of Champions show, I think, comes to mind. The, the first Raw pay per view, all the matches were like, okay, you know, there was nothing that was like, that I remember that was just like awful in the ring, but I didn't like the show. Like it was just a poorly booked show mm-hmm. um, with a lot of bad finishes. I think people just, they want characters they care about and they want logical booking. I mean, I think that's why people have gravitated some towards SmackDown over raw raw's got the bigger stars. Um, they've got that half of the equation, but the booking's so bad that it turns people off. Yeah, I still think it's a mix. I think you you still need to have good matches. I think a lot of the the fans that are still tuning in are the hardcore fans that want athletic wrestling, that want good wrestling. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you're saying, yeah, Clash of Champions direction wise left a lot to be desired, and uh, you can have as many great athletic matches as you want. But if the backstory sucks, nobody cares. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if, if oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying. So yeah, so it it, it is a mix. It is a give and take a little bit. But I, I just think that there's a certain level these guys need to hit. And it's a level that's a lot lower than the other matches will have to hit. Um, I mean, if you get, if the other matches are good, like if the elimination matches are good and whatnot that night, then it's okay that that match's not good. Every match doesn't have to, you know, be a great technical match on a card. Yeah. It just doesn't. Well, um, I think, I think there's something to what you said there about the expectations being lower for this match too. Yeah. I mean, th- th- that's the way it's always been. I mean, you know, granted, it's a different era, so it's not apples to apples. But like Hulk Hogan is one of the biggest stars in the history of this industry. Hulk Hogan matches suck. Yeah, I mean, that was an era, though, too, where unless you were an NWA fan, people, re- it wasn't about wrestling. Yeah, no, I know. Then. But like, that's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, the end of, you know, as much as, you know, you know, I, I've seen a lot of, you know, I thought I was the only one who believed this and it kind of came across as sacrilegious, but I, I heard it on a different podcast. I was like, oh my God, thank God someone else is making this point. You know, like Flair Steamboat is considered, you know, the holy grail, right? Of, you know, as far as like a individual series of matches. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, people forget at the box office that got its ass kicked by Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, like badly. Yeah. People make fun of Zeus, but like, like, you know, the Saturday Night's main event with Zeus crushed Clash Six mm-hmm. in terms of the ratings. I mean, they, you know, I just think that yes, you don't want to have guys embarrassing themselves out there in the ring, but you know, you don't get that very much in WWE anymore. And I, I don't think these guys are going to embarrass themselves. I just don't. So I, I just think the match quality factor um, may not be as big a deal here as some people think it will be. You make a good point about Flair Steamboat and Hogan Savage and everything, and hey, this is a taste of what you're going to get on our retro shows, but I also think there's something to be said for the fact that those matches were so far ahead of their time, and the business underwent like a fundamental shift, kind of in the, well, the late 80s, early 90s, where the smaller guys actually got a chance to perform, and it became more about a, the athletic performance versus the character. I think... uh Fans of like the Jim Crockett promotions, they were conditioned to to look for well worked matches, but that w- didn't really have the exposure that the WWF had in the eighties. And uh, a lot of the fans that were brought in in the mid eighties from the WWF on the USA Network and, and their syndication, they were conditioned to just like the stars and just like the big personalities. They weren't. That was like some of the for a lot of people that was the first wrestling that they knew. 
So yeah. it, was, it was almost like Flair and Steamboat. They were ahead of the curve. You can think of all kinds of things in pop culture where like at the time they bombed and then years later people look back and like, oh, that was great. Why did that not take off at the time? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not. Look, I mean, personally, if you ask me to which I'd rather watch right now, yes, it's Flair Steamboat. But um, I think that, you know, there is still a place for stuff like Lesnar Goldberg. Yeah. I agree. In 2000, even in 2016, I mean, you look at it. I mean, I was the one guy, you know, just to for introduce a little iron here, that Rock Hogan match at WrestleMania. I hate that match. Hmm. In Toronto, also. Yes, like I, I like I. I mean, again, I'm, I'm, you know, we haven't had a lot of time, so we'll when we get into the Survivor Series stuff, I'll be able to go. To, I, I hate Hulk Hogan. I hate, I hate his character. I hate everything about him. I think he's. You talk about terrible people in pro wrestling. Hulk Hogan is one of the worst people in the history of pro wrestling as a person. But, you know, that worked. I, I'm also like, is while I didn't like it personally, I can also look at it and like, okay, well, this worked on that night. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the reasons I brought it, just because I, I, again, I'm very biased against Hogan. Um, a lot of the reasons I brought up were maybe some of the things you brought up too, where it's like, I just looked at that match and I'm like, this is embarrassing how Rock is having to tone his entire, you know, level of work down so this idiot can keep up with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that match worked. And yeah. it, it a technically great match. Mm-hmm. I don't hate that match, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm higher in that match than you are. But yeah. it, it is another thing, too, where it, it wasn't a technical masterpiece or anything, but it had its place on the show, and people were pumped for it. And the, Well, the television leading into that match was tremendous. Well, except for the when he ran him over with the truck, and then it, that didn't matter. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a little much. Yeah, the initial confrontation was great. I just think that you know people need to learn that matches can be still be successful today without being technical masterpieces. They absolutely can. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that this match will be success. I, I think it won't be as successful as WWE hopes it will. But um, we saw in the, you know, people that want to dismiss, oh, who cares about Goldberg? He's old. I brought up the DVD thing two weeks ago. That was, I think, what first peaked, re-peaked their interest in Goldberg because DVD business is pretty much dead. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they released that one a couple of years ago, him, it moves some units, and then you you take a look at the rating on Monday night. There's interest, obviously, in this. It wasn't just the live crowd. Yeah, and they, they didn't they they did their best rating in months. Yeah, they actually they did hold it off till the very end of the show too, where mm-hmm. they had you know they've kind of been neglecting the third hour a little bit. Well, most of the time, not a little bit. Uh, but yeah, this week they held it off right till the end, so much so that I was wondering, is this segment going to actually make the show? Are they going to run out of time here? But um, yeah, it wasn't oh, uh, the the third hour. The third hour wasn't the most viewed hour of the show, but they kept pretty consistently the same audience throughout. They didn't have the huge drop off they they usually have as the show went on. So, yeah, I had read something like it was the first time since March or something like that that the second and third hour were basically consistent. Yeah, they started off with three point one six seven million, and they ended with three point one one eight million. The show did. Uh, 3.130 million viewers, which was up from about 2.7 million the week before. So they got about 400,000 more viewers for the, the Goldberg appearance. Yeah, I, I just I, I just think it's, it's different is what I like. I, I think that, you know, with these brand only pay-per-views and it's the same guys. And it, I mean, we're already seeing, I mean, you know, Hell in the Cell is basically just a rematch, bunch of rematches from Clash of Champions. I just think it's good sometimes to have variety. I'm yeah. pro variety in wrestling. You know, it's like at least it gives, you know, and they're trying to make this thing a big four show Survivor Series. It's a hook. It's something different. Well, it's, there's no match. There is zero. And I will defy you or anyone listening to come up with a match that could draw more interest than Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg for Survivor Series that WWE has with its current roster. Without bringing back someone from the past. Yes. Yes. With active members of its. I mean, what? First of all, I don't think there's going to be any title matches on that show because, you know, when SmackDown announced that they're like, it's going to be our five best guys. So that would make me think that that's going to include the champion. Mm -hmm. Um, And also there's a complete absence of a compelling title program on SmackDown right now. Uh, Raw, once Owens presumably beats Rollins. You've kind of got a similar deal. I mean, they're they're building to Owens Jericho, but I I would like to see them maybe hold that off to TLC if possible. 
So, I mean, I don't think there's a world title match that could potentially, and again, Goldberg Lesnar may fail, fall well short of expectations, but I don't think on paper that there's anything that has that potential. No, I can't see anything. It's yeah, because he got the Goldberg nostalgia factor. So, yeah. Well, speaking of a lack of a title program on SmackDown, Kyle, uh, you recap SmackDown every week for topropepress.com. Tell I us do. about the show this week. What'd you think? Um, it was better than the week that I, I missed two weeks ago. I was at a concert. It was, and I watched the next day on DVR, and I was like, "Ooh, wow!" I'm actually glad I didn't. I missed it, having to recap this one. This is probably like the weakest effort they've had to date. Uh, this week's was an improvement. Um, it was some odd things that I enjoyed. You know, I, you know, the best moment was Carmella and Nikki Bella, and I didn't mean that. And ironic, I wasn't trying to be like, you know, ironic or anything. I, I legitimately thought that segment was the best thing, and I thought Alexa Bliss was the standout star. I think she's really got her heel mannerisms down pat. I think she looked great in the ring. Um, there was some stuff that didn't work. I am not a fan of the James Ellsworth stuff. I know that's been very divisive on Twitter. Uh, I think the Orton Wyatt storyline, I had written that it reminds me of mid-90s Undertaker stuff, which I didn't really like then. Uh, so it was hit or miss, I thought. Um, I think the highlight of WWE Tuesday night was talking smack like it often is and a tremendous promo that Baron Corbin cut on Daniel Bryan. Um, I have to see this because Baron Corbin is one of my least favorite members of the SmackDown. Oh, actually, it's just the WWE and NXT roster combined. So if this was as great as people are saying, I'm, I'm going to have to fire up the network. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I was I had told you in the past that in kind of an unstructured environment, he cut a great promo at, I think, the SummerSlam pre-show it was. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that, I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And then, you know, it was just, it just seemed kind of like an outlier because all of his promos on the show were just very wooden and laconic and not very good. But then this thing I talked, this was unbelievable. This made him, other than Miz, I thought, come off like the best heel in the company. It's That's- exactly what you want to do to get a guy over as a heel in 2016. It was a promo cut by somebody trying to get over as a heel who completely understands the audience and what will irk them. I mean, just to give you a tease, you, you should watch it and everyone else listening should listen to it. He asks Daniel Bryan, how long did it take you to get here? And Daniel Bryan says, uh, like 10 years. And Corbin laughs at him and says, I made a phone call and got here in three and a half weeks. <laughs> like that? is so awesome to do within the confines of that character. Like, yeah, like to some people here that, oh, that sucks. That pisses me off. And I think it kind of got under Brian's skin. Well, that's what it's, you're supposed to do. Well, that's what Baron Corbin's job is. Yeah. Someone must have been taking him under their wing then recently, because every time I've seen Baron Corbin on the mic, he lacks everything that would make a star in pro wrestling. <laughs> it's like well, I- very void of any charisma whatsoever. I, I have never really seen him give a promo that I care about, but I'm telling you, watch this thing. This I was watching. I started texting my buddy and I was like, my God, Baron Corbin is the, is the greatest promo in the history of this company. <laughs> Oh like I was gosh. completely over. It was unbelievable. Like <laughs> how many bells great... too hard at ales had you had by this point? None. It was this morning. <laughs> um, cause I had missed, I, I, I you know, I, I kind of, I finish up the SmackDown recap. Um, I'm really bad at getting pictures by the way, just to take people behind the curtain here. Um, uh, <laughs> am I slow at doing that? But, um, you know, I, and so I don't watch talking smack live and I think for a couple of weeks now it'd kind of been, eh, whatever, nothing really going on. Um, worth watching, but then I had seen my Twitter feed light up. Oh my God, this Baron Corbin thing. And I, you know, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch till this morning and it was, it was great. I'll check it out. I'll check it out later. It was great. I, I would, here's a question for you. This is a fun question. I want to throw at you. Who would your top five SmackDown guys be for the Survivor Series match? The men's elimination match. Um, is Cena off at that point still? So I had entertained this. I don't know. There seems to be a debate, but like, don't you think that this is a kind of match that like, if you just say, Hey man, can you work survivor series? He still could. He doesn't need to really, if you just announce John Cena will be on the SmackDown team. Like he doesn't need to be on TV to hype that really. No. 
So I, I would put him on presuming he's available. Yeah, you got to have I him th- on there. Yeah, I mean, I think if he's available, if you can get him, you have to have John Cena. Okay. Well, you got Cena. Uh, you got AJ for sure. Yep. yep. Probably Ambrose. Um, if it's me picking, I've got the Miz in there. Yep, I had him. And the fifth spot, hmm, definitely not Baron Corbin. Sorry, I had say. him on my team. Really? I oh, think throw man. him in there for a wild card. Uh, I mean, if, they're, I if, they're, if they are set on pushing him, you could do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Corbin, though, uh, let's see who who else could we put on there. Yeah, I just, I don't know. You could. Now they probably got something for American Alpha. I think I think Jason Jordan's a star of the future. Well, yeah, but they're going to be in the tag team. Yeah, thing. yeah. So you can't do that. They're bringing the old, the old tag team one back. By the way, we will be talking about those on the uh, Survivor Series history when they had all tag team only uh, elimination matches. All first time since nineteen eighty. Yep, first time since nineteen eighty eight. They're doing that gimmick. I'm probably putting Orton in that team personally. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. Uh, I did not have. It's funny because they're talking about Ambrose. Wasn't he rumored to be taking some time off too? Yeah, yeah. I would. By the way, I hated Dean Ambrose by the end of SmackDown last night. <laughs> I've hated Dean Ambrose for a long time. Well, no, yeah, hate, no, hate is too hate is too strong of a word. But yeah, I, I mean, dislike I the, the character guy. for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I just thought that like when they have him be Goofy Dean, and I don't know if that's like his thing that he likes doing, or if they're like, hey, we want you to do this. Um, a lot of it comes off as pretty scripted, so I'm gonna. Um, I'll, I'll absolve him a little bit. Maybe, um, it's so bad. Goofy Dean Ambrose is one of my least favorite characters in WWE. He was, when he was kind of, uh, you know, going tit for tat with Cena and teasing a heel turn. I really enjoyed him mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. God is Goofy Dean Ambrose awful. Yeah. And he was the, the quote unquote comedy he was doing during the Styles Ellsworth match made that whole ordeal even worse. God, the whole James Elworth stuff is is awful too. What a waste okay. of television time. Well, yeah, it is. It, it the guy plays his role well, but he doesn't belong in a you know working with AJ Styles. It, it doesn't it doesn't do wonders for your champion. Like there are times when your world champion can kind of lose to a guy who's not perceived as a contender, but maybe if it's like an under push guy, like the classic example was, even though he wasn't champion, I think he just lost. It was triple H Shelton Benjamin. Remember in 05? Yeah. When Benjamin was like just starting as a singles guy, but he was a guy people recognize with talent and he got the upset win. Mm-hmm. That was okay, but that's not this. This is <laughs> no, Shelton like, Benjamin was unbelievable in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was, well, he was kind of hit or miss sometimes. Um, but you know, Ellsworth is a guy who's not a star. It's just kind of like a fluky thing. Although I will say David Otunga by far said the funniest thing he's ever said last night when um, Ellsworth, the super kick and Otunga called it no chin music. That was by far the best thing David Otunga's ever said in his life. The only worthwhile thing he's ever said since he or, came to SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he said some worthwhile things to get his wife. But um, you know, <laughs> as far as wrestling commentary goes, that was his highlight. Yeah. Well, speaking of awful things, Kyle, Uh-oh. Eric Bischoff. He's bad. Eric Bischoff. So if you didn't see it, Kyle kind of ranted this week on the website about Eric Bischoff and his comments about women's wrestling. And it was criticism that Bischoff well-deserved. Um, it had to do with the upcoming Hell in a Cell match between Sasha Banks and Charlotte at the pay-per-view here in a week and a half. And... uh I guess he just kind of came off a little bit sexist. And yeah. uh, if, if you know Eric Bischoff and you've ever read some of the stuff he puts on Twitter, that's probably no surprise to you. Um, he could easily be Donald Trump's campaign manager. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Hung out with Hogan all those years, too, so you know how he feels about the black boat, I'm sure. And he hung out <laughs> in some sketchy nightclubs in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Eric Bischoff, just I guess, not a fan of a women's Hell in a Cell match. And Kyle, I mean, what would what went through your head for those that haven't I just read thought your it column? Was a, I just thought it was a very outdated thing to say. Like it was something that someone who's not watching the product and then would see what they're doing would say. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried to make the point that they will not be able to live up to the expectation of hell in a cell. Uh, There maybe was a time that would be true 
I don't really want to endorse what he said, but there was like time. But, you know, Hell in a Cell is not what it once was. We went through this. I mean, it's been it's kind of a watered down gimmick, to be honest with you. If it, you know, of the three storylines that they have for the cell matches at the pay-per-view, this one, the idea that they're putting whip doing a first time thing with the women is the most compelling. Exactly. It's the, the only two, interesting. Only yeah, cell match. The other two men's feuds are, I mean, the world title feud, I think is one of the worst world title feuds uh, in recent memory. And I like both Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins as performers, but that's when people need to be objective when they're evaluating things. It's not a good program. It's not interesting at all. Yeah. And Reigns and Rusev, okay, they've been feuding for a while, but eh, you know, I, I don't think uh, it's very intriguing because I think everyone just presumes Reigns is going to win. Win. Yeah. So to me, Sasha and Charlotte in Boston, her hometown, it's unique. Again, I like unique. There's not enough uniqueness in wrestling. Like I, I wrote this in my SmackDown recap. They did stuff last night that I didn't like. Okay. But at least it was outside the box. You know, I would rather see some swings and misses. And by the way, as we talk about swings and misses, the Cleveland Indians are your 2016 American League champions. Uh, Congratulations, Cleveland. Congratulations, Kyle. Yes. But I would rather see some swings and misses than just like these, you know, feeble attempts at singles to make a lame baseball analogy. Right now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's the problem with Raw. Raw is just so like, you know, you can almost see the puppet strings on the performers and stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's just the same thing every week. And okay, yeah, it's this person. It's just, it just, you're watching a show. And it's like, oh, it's okay. It's this person's time to come out. They're not really doing anything, but they have to be on the show. Um, you know, it's about uniqueness. And Sasha and Charlotte being the Hell in a Cell match and potentially headlining, we should talk about that. Um, is unique. Yeah. Well, the column on Top Row Press is Raw Women's Division. People are saying some really dumb things. This is what Kyle wrote. And uh, Eric Bischoff's comments, word for word, he, t- he says some stuff about managing expectations, and he says, I'm not taking anything away from either of those athletes that happen to be women. I am suggesting that the audience may not necessarily want to see that type of entertainment and that type of match out of that type of an athlete whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah. I just thought that the whole thing, like he didn't make any really good points. No, I mean, there is maybe a good point against like there. No, there isn't really there. There really isn't an argument that, um, there's no gender argument to be made that those two can't live up. Um, the hell in the cell compared to what the men may, because I don't think the men's matches are going to live up to the legend. I mean, if, if people are tuning into this thing to, to see Under, Undertaker Shaw and Undertaker Foley, they're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. Which is part of the problem with kind of actually doing this pay-per-view is they hype, you know, they hype you based on those legendary violent matches and they don't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you we know, talked I about think, kind of on the, on the show about yeah. a month ago or so is that the fact that, you know, you're getting the match takes away from it. It used to be hell in the cell was this thing that came out of nowhere and, uh, they pull it out for extreme circumstances. And now it's like, Oh, hell in a cell pay-per-view is coming. Now we know we're getting some matches and it just kind of lost the intrigue. But the fact that it is the first women's hell in a cell match gives it some intrigue and it's the only one with some intrigue. So it just kind of shows you how out of touch with the current product Eric Bischoff is. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he hasn't really had many good ideas since like 1996, 1997 anyway, so. Yeah. So speaking of the Hell in a Cell and Sasha Charlotte, um, we had a little bit of controversy with Mick Foley this week, who first announced that uh, that was going to main event the pay-per-view in Boston, and then he took that back a few hours later. Um, So we're not really sure now if it's going to headline or not. Um, I almost wonder if this has put... WWE into a situation where they're going to be forced to make it the headline match now because people are expecting it because word got out. But Foley said, well, the match order, I guess, hasn't been decided now after he had said it was going to headline. So I know you had some strong opinions on this one. Yeah, a couple. I just I just wanted to say one more thing about Bischoff. You know, as much as people want to bitch about um, WWE squandering the talent on its current roster. And, and again, we've made the point. I mean, whether maybe they're not good at making the stars, it's a talented roster nonetheless. It, 
you take a look at that roster that Eric Bischoff had back in the day. Yeah. And it is unfathomable that that company was out of business within years. It's unfathomable. <laughs> within a couple of years of them having one of the biggest hit wrestling shows of all time, it was yeah. completely out of he had, the, he had the greatest talent roster of all time. I think you could make the case in 1997, 1998, because he had the stars at the top and he had the future at the bottom, all these great workers. And the company was out of business within a matter of years. That's, that's unfathomable. Pivoting to Foley now. Uh, there's a couple things. First of all, I don't know what the hell Foley's doing with his direct messaging with fans. I mean, <laughs> man, come on. That's not going Although, hey, If you approach Foley at a bar, he won't give you the time of day. But apparently if you approach him on Twitter, he will get back to you privately. That is true. So I guess I should not be uh, crying too much for the man. But, you know, I didn't like this fan, though, post trying to make a name for it. It was a it was a she wasn't it? make a name for herself. I thought that was dumb. And she had a bad take to the whole like, you know, why don't you push Summer Ray? That, that that I actually Nick didn't do a great job of defending that. But it was kind of a stupid take. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like, do you really think like Summer Ray is going to turn raw? <laughs> Come on. She, you know, she might be more talented than we think, but you know, so's most people in this company. So is Bailey for Christ's sakes. Why aren't they yeah, mad about yeah, the way they're using yeah, Bailey? Yeah, Bailey's got a much Jesus. higher ceiling than Summer Ray. <laughs> yeah. Summer Ray. I mean, that's the kind of thing with these fans, you know, you give a voice and you get some person bitching about Summer Ray. Bailey is oh. jobbing to Dana Brooke, which you called by the way, a few weeks yeah, ago. Oh, yeah. And how about Dana Brooke can't even do a flare pin properly. Yeah. Jesus. But Summer Rae is what we're concerned about. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But some, that, yeah, that was, that was silly. Um, I mean, the person made the point that the SmackDown women's division is better booked. And I do agree with that, but you know, you look at this with Sasha and Charlotte, I think the key is it doesn't matter what anyone thinks is right. It matters what the audience believes. And here's what, here's the, the main crux of what I'm saying. This audience is totally okay. Not just okay, but I think now is looking forward to, and not just because of what Foley said, but they were before of this match headlining that pay-per-view. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'd be mm-hmm. one thing if, like, it was just me, like, trying to, like, you know, bang my ha- hand against the table saying, this match needs to headline this pay-per-view, but no one else really feels that way. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you think, like, the audience is going to be totally accepting of that match going on last? Oh, yeah. No question. So, and if the WWE changes it because of what Mick Foley did, then they're stupid. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah. The, like, it shouldn't be a secret what goes on last. Do you think the people who walked into the Pontiac Silverdome were like, gee, I wonder if Hogan Andre is going to be last? Like, <laughs> you should, it should be clearly identified what's going on last. If you want to make it your main event, then freaking make it your main event, man. I mean, you go to the website, that matches the one that's on all the banners. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be. I yeah. think the idea is for it to go on last, and it should go on last. Yeah, total agreement. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, next week on the show, we'll do a full preview of Hell in a Cell. We'll go through our picks and what we think is going down. But I'm in agreement. I think he probably just wasn't supposed to put the word out there. But, uh, yeah, it's got to go on last. It should go on last, and it, it looks like it from the posters. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't understand why they would change it. I get that, okay, they love to control their message. but. You know, I mean, okay, wow. Some people read Mick Foley's Facebook page and figure out something that should be happening anyway. Who cares? Don't get spiteful about that, WWE. Well, they get weird about stuff like that. I don't understand that. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, oh, no, people know that (laughs) Sasha Banks and Charlotte's going on last. Who cares? They should know. (laughs) You should want them to know it's going on last. That's a good thing. Mick Foley did nothing wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, our plan is ruined. Oh, no. Oh, no. no, People know what match is going to go on last. (laughs) I just, I don't get that at all. Yeah. Don't understand it. Well, we're going to wrap up this week with uh, kind of a mailbag segment. We've been wanting to get our listeners more involved and the whole Patreon movement we're trying to start. That's a that's a whole idea for you guys to get interactive with the show, to participate in the show, to call in and kind of co-host with us. Um, and that's what we're looking to do with our Patreon subscribers in the future. But as far as the uh, the show for everyone here... Um, we've been asking for our followers on social media to go ahead and send in a tweet. If you got a question you want to talk to or you want to, us to talk about on the show, just uh, put the hashtag Top Rope Nation and we'll get it on the show. So 
This is the first week where we have really reached out and got some questions from our listeners. And we got a few good ones here to close up on. Um, so number one, uh, the first question we got, Kyle, this is from Damien on Twitter. And he asked, even though it's a different sport, do you think MMA is pro wrestling's biggest competitor? I'm going to say first. Sorry to step on your toes there. No, no, please go. <laughs> I was going to let you. I wanted you to answer that first. Yeah, yeah I think it is think for sure. I think uh, when UFC really hit it big uh, 15 years ago or so, whenever it was, a lot of that was because there was some crossover between the wrestling fans and the people that became UFC fans. Because if you remember, they originally place the ultimate fighter right after raw on spike tv and uh, i think that helped out ufc a lot yes. i think ufc's product mimicked pro wrestling a lot with uh, yes. the promos the entrances the pyro everything the way they shot the entrances and uh i think it is their biggest competitor i think they've lost a lot of fans to mma over the last several years who kind of left pro wrestling and and stuck with ufc what do you think yeah i think that UFC does pro wrestling better than WWE does a lot of the times, which is embarrassing if you're WWE. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just the way and they by, build up feuds. Yeah, and by the way, to pivot back to our initial discussion here on Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, you know, UFC and Dana White, they get a lot of crap from hardcore fans about, oh, you know, this guy's not the most talented guy. Why are you putting him on top? Because it draws. Yeah. Sells That's the most why. pay-per-views. Yeah, I, I know that WWE's moved to the network uh, based formula and, and pay-per-view is not as important as it once was certainly, but at the end of the ga- day, it's still about, you know, compelling storylines, drawing people to arenas, getting people, uh, you know, whether it's the network or pay-per-view to, you know, pay to see, you know, conclusions to those storylines. Yeah. Next question comes from Alexander on Twitter. He asked, first of all, I guess this is like three questions. He said, so how about the plans for Lesnar? And then he says, is there anything up with the Shane rumors for WrestleMania? And then lastly, on a whole different subject, will the Hardys buy TNA for good? Well, Lesnar, we've kind of covered. Obviously, he's going into this Goldberg match. And then after that, uh, I'm not really sure where they're going with Brock Lesnar. Have you heard anything? I've heard, no, I've, I, I've heard some Shane, some rumors about Shane and WrestleMania. So I really think that this Goldberg thing was a recent call mm-hmm. because, you know, they've sort of just dropped Shane entirely. And Stephanie, you know, who was kind of actually tied to that storyline a bit, her character is like pointless at this juncture um, without the Shane dynamic. I, you know, remember, how about that Mick Foley promo or that uh, Paul Heyman promo that she did a while back with? That makes no sense now. But um, I really hope they don't do Shane Lesnar at WrestleMania. That would be a complete waste of Brock Lesnar. Yeah, that, Brock Lesnar I've, I've heard there to, is a discussion about it. I have heard yeah, that. But. Brock Lesnar needs to be putting someone over at WrestleMania 33. Yeah, it's about time. And it's not Shane McMahon, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's about time. But, right. you know, I mean, if they never okay, here's something now. If they never did that match, would you be upset, Brock Shane? God no. Okay, you know, I mean, I mean, has it been okay? Has it been teased to the point on television that they have to do it? No, I think people forget. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. No. And as far as the Hardys buying TNA, TNA is such a mess. Uh, I don't see that happening. No, they don't have no, to. No chance. I think no, Matt I, wants I, uh, another run with WWE when it all comes down to it. Yeah, that was just him having fun on Twitter. Yeah, so uh, that's not going to happen. No. TNA is looking... Oh, my God, what a train wreck. God, we could do a whole show on this, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. I you know, I think I said this when we talked about them in our last show. It's there like WCW in 2001 where it's like... And this is sad. He, you don't want them to go out of business because that's mean, but like you don't care if they do. I do want them to go out of business. Kyle. Okay. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and that was the worst. We all agree now, 15 years after the fact, that was the worst thing that ever happened to pro wrestling was WCW going out of business. But at the time, like you're just like somebody give this thing, the old yellow treatment. And by the way, do you know, TNA has now lasted longer than the Ted Turner owned version of WCW did. Yeah, because that would have been what, about 12 years, 12, 13 years? Yeah, Ted Turner bought it in the 
fall of 88 and it went out of business in March of 01. So that was a little over 12. And then TNA has been around for like 14 years now. <laughs> what a 14 years it's been. Well, my fantasy football league's been around for 14 years. So I guess I got that on Ted Turner too. Mine's been around since mine. Ours has been around for 21. Actually, <laughs> you know, I should take it back. If Billy Corgan was able to buy TNA and rebrand it and give it a whole different name and everything, I I would like to see that happen. But TNA, as it is currently constructed with Dixie Carter having power, oh, she's got to go. Has to just she's yeah. got to be gone. Yeah. She got to go. And it's not like when WCW went out of business, where had a, a Nash, a true national promotion. TNA is not a true national promotion. Nope. They're they're in the hierarchy. They're four or five spots down the list, behind Ring of Honor, behind Lucha Underground, behind Evolve, even really. So I don't know if they're behind Lucha Underground. I think there's more interest in Lucha Underground than there is in TNA. They're de- they're certainly behind Ring of Honor. If you go yeah. to any of the wrestling fan forums. Uh, and you just kind of take the pulse of the internet. There's people talking about Lucha Underground yeah, all the time. I know their TV ratings suck, yeah. but TNA doesn't really have that interest. I you're rarely right. see stuff. Yeah, you're right. There, uh, Aside from a few internet trolls, there really isn't any diehard TNA fans. Yeah. So I'm sure they're all going to be bombing my Twitter now after this episode. Let's we'll see. I might have some interesting tweets. To How can you air. defend TNA? I have no I mean, what idea. are you doing? It's like brainwashing. Yes. Um, next question. Does NXT need more television time or another title? No, absolutely not. This is from Tommy on Twitter. I do not think they need more TV time. I think TNA or uh, TNA. God, I got TNA on the mind now. I think NXT is, uh, kind of in a rut right now as far as their television goes. I, it just hasn't been as interesting to me lately as the last few years. So giving them more TV time now would not be a good move. Um, Another title? I don't think so. Not with a one-hour-long show. Kyle, your thoughts? I, I agree completely. I think it's fine. As is, you're right. It isn't been quite as compelling as it once was, but um, it's perfect. It's the way you know, kind of wrestling used to be an hour. Well, I mean, you know, obviously they used to have more, but it's it's basically like you know, even hour show that builds up every week that builds up to one mate, you know, a quarterly show. It's fine. The, their business model works fine. They, trust me. There are there's a lot of things WWE can do to improve itself. More hours of programming is not one of them. No. And they for the love not. of God, keep it away from network television. Keep it on the WWE network. Do not bring NXT to USA Network, please. Because the minute I see people pining for this all the time. I mean, there was a time where people were saying, oh, make SmackDown NXT or whatever. The minute NXT is on cable television. Vince McMahon will have his hands all over it and it won't be the NXT that you love. Yeah, I know. It's like if you love NXT, I mean, it's not hard to watch it. I don't know why, like, you would want it to be on TV. No, it's fine like, on the network. Have the WWE Network, who cares if it's on TV or not? Yeah. It's not hard to watch. No. No, it's good as is. If anything, it's easier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, keep and it on the network. Another, they don't need another title either. No, we, we're fine with the uh, three titles they got. Yeah, too many titles in on the main roster. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, uh, we're going to wrap up this week's show. Like we said earlier on the broadcast, next week you can look for the first episode of the Survivor Series specials we're going to be starting. That will be free for everyone to listen to. And then every show after that in the Survivor Series uh, sequence, you will need to be a Patreon supporter. So you can check out patreon.com slash Nation for that, all the information on that. And uh, we will also have just a standard edition of Top Rope Nation next week previewing Hell in a Cell. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'd love you for it. Um, give, we'll give you a shout-out on Twitter. How about that? You leave us an iTunes review. Let us know. Tweet us. And uh, we'll give you a shout-out. Um, you can find us on Podbean, TopRopePress.com, as always, and uh, Stitcher Radio. And, Kyle, next time we talk... We already know the Indians are in the World Series. We will we will know what the fate is of my Chicago Cubs by next week. I hope they make it. That would be fun. Hopefully. Indians would be the big heel team then, huh? Naturally. Well, the thing that would be interesting, these are the two teams with the biggest World Series droughts. So, uh, was the Indians? Like, the 40s, right? Yeah, 48. Yeah. So, they'd have that storyline. I mean, of course, there's some teams that have never won it. 
but uh, yeah. they have the well, biggest droughts of teams yeah. that have won it. And uh, yeah, it'd be a great series. But the Cubs, they gotta. If anyone can do it, they can. But they gotta get those bats alive. So we'll see what happens here on uh, Game Four tonight. So that being said, thanks for listening, and we will catch you all next week. <laughs>